you know, it was so affordable. I mean, we parked, got in, had nachos and Coke and everything for less than half the price of what it cost to park the car at a race game. So I was like, wow, I have to add this to my repertoire of things I do a lot. And then I didn't even know the half of it. As I was leaving, they gave me a little flyer that said, come back for our annual Bark in the Park game in two weeks. And I thought, really? This is like two of the greatest things in the world, a baseball game and dogs, and you're going to combine them into one event? So it just seemed surreal to be at a ball game, you know, and have my dog there. So I, I went back and it was everything I hoped. I mean, it was so much fun. There was a ton of dogs there and they even let us run the bases after the game. So it was like, yeah, I died and went to heaven. What's up, Bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in and welcome to episode number 48 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host, Anna D. Tommaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Phil Stokoe from Tampa, Florida. Phil is not only a huge baseball fan himself, but is also the personal assistant, social media manager, and traveling secretary to none other than the baseball poodle, Panda Bear. Phil shares his own baseball story as well as how he and Panda Bear got started on their journey to becoming what I would consider the official face of Bark in the Parks Everywhere. We also get tips and tricks for making sure your Bark in the Park experience with your best friend goes off without a hitch. I tried not to take offense or be jealous of the fact that Panda Bear the Baseball Poodle has seen some of my most coveted bucket list items, but there are some great stories of memories that Phil and Panda have shared together. And near the end of the episode, Phil asks a what-if question about one of baseball's most infamous moments, the Bartman Incident. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that, so be sure to tag us or tweet at us on social so we can continue that conversation online. This was a fun one. I don't want to delay it any longer. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Phil Stoko. Phil, thank you so much for being here today. How are things in beautiful, sunny Florida? Well, they're getting hotter every day, but it's baseball season and I, I love the heat, so I'm happy. Yeah. So then you're in a good place for it if you like the heat. <laughs> for sure. Let's get started then. How is it that you became a fan of the game of baseball? How? What's your origin story? Well, my origin story is that I wasn't a baseball fan in the beginning. As a little kid, I was all about football. So when I was five years old, we lived in Miami and my dad had season tickets to the Dolphins. So he tried taking my mom to the Dolphin games and getting her interested in football, and that was just not going to happen. So uh, he tried taking me, and I just loved it. So at five and six years old, I went to a lot of Dolphin games in the Orange Bowl with my dad. So that's my first sports memory. Um, and one of those seasons was when they went undefeated and, and won the Super Bowl. So I'm dating myself there, but you know that's a, a great set of early memories. You know, So I got into football, and as a kid, you know, if football was on, at least NFL football, I was watching, collected football cards, played a lot of backyard football with my friends, all that kind of thing. So didn't really have any appreciation for baseball at that point. When I was 15, that was 82, we lived in Atlanta at that point. Um, the Braves had been a, a lousy team for the past several years, but they started that season with 13 straight wins. So as you can imagine, the city was ablaze with Braves fever, right? And I got curious, what is this baseball thing? So I started asking my dad, and he played high school baseball. So he was able to teach me the game, and I just took to it and absolutely loved it. I still remember that summer watching every game. I mean, I, once school got out, I had no reason to, I had to get up in the morning 
So when the Braves were on the West Coast playing the Giants and the Dodgers and the Padres and the games were starting at 1035 my time, no problem. I was watching every inning of those games, you know, and I can still rattle off that, that 82 Braves lineup today. You know, when you when you're brand new to something and when you're young, you know, that stuff just etches into your brain and stays with you forever. What a great story. So then are you still following the Braves? Are you a fan of, of major league baseball or is it kind of a more of a minor league interest that you've taken? At this point, I spend so much time going to minor league games that I don't have a lot of time to watch major league baseball. So I'm not following the Braves real close, although I certainly pulled for them in the postseason last year. Uh, I pull for the Rays when I can watch them, and uh, Major League Baseball doesn't make that easy to see your local <laughs> team in a lot of markets, certainly not here in Tampa. And uh, I like to think of myself as a Marlins fan to some extent, too, because they're a Florida team, right? So, And, and I've lived in Miami as a little kid. So Braves, Marlins, and Rays. Nice. The Braves and Marlins are a bit of a, a rivalry there, I would guess, but that's fun. I love the uh, pulling for the local teams. That's always a good a good quality. Yeah, it's fun. Um, you know, well, you asked about my my uh, baseball origin story, so I've got to say I kind of have a baseball exit story though. Twenty two years I was away from the game, so in '94 I was a big fan, but that was the season that ended early because of the strike. And so, um, you know, I was used to watching the Braves every night on uh, TBS as I lived in Atlanta. And, but then, you know, suddenly there was no more baseball, no postseason. What a horrible thing. So I was already out of the habit of watching baseball every night, you know, long before the season should have ended. And then that was the uh, off season that I moved to Florida. So mm -hmm. I left Atlanta, I moved to Florida. And when the spring came, there was a whole new, to, new set of stuff to do, go to the beach and you know, it's in a new world. So it was very easy to just, you know, keep on doing uh, new things. And, and I didn't really miss baseball too much because I had been out of the habit for so long. So that hiatus from the game lasted 22 seasons, uh, something like that. So I didn't get back into it until 2017. What was it that brought that back? Well, a friend at work suggested we go to a Clearwater Threshers game, one of the local teams. And so we went and it was fantastic. And I was like, where has this been all my life? We got in for a dollar. It was dollar night to sit on the berm. And then yeah. don't, don't tell anyone, but we didn't even actually sit on the berm. And, you know, it was so affordable. I mean, we parked, got in, had nachos and Coke and everything for less than half the price of what it cost to park the car at a race game. So mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I have to add this to my repertoire of things I do a lot. And then I didn't even know the half of it. As I was leaving, they gave me a little flyer that said come back for our annual bark in the park game in two weeks and i thought really this is like two of the greatest things in the world a baseball game and dogs and you're going to combine them into one event so it just seemed surreal to be at a ball game you know and have my dog there so i i went back with the dog and it was everything i hoped i mean it was so much fun there was a ton of dogs there and they even let us run the bases after the game. So it was like, yeah, I died and went to heaven, right? So I still <laughs> remember, you know, after the game, sitting in my car, looking at all the pictures I took on my cell phone and knowing, okay, I have to go back to my normal life of, you know, going to work every day and all that. I felt like a little kid whose mom was making him get out of the neighborhood swimming pool to go home and do homework. Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't believe it was over. And I knew that was their only one of the, of the year. But I thought, well, there's got to be a whole league full of teams and maybe they're having games. 
So at that point, I, I still knew pretty much nothing about minor league baseball, but I started researching and, you know, I started calling and, and looking online for all the teams in the state. And by the end of that season, my dog and I had been to 17 games around the state. And so that was the start of my new hobby that takes over my life five months of the year. It's a great hobby to have. And for the listeners who don't know, Phil lives with a Twitter celebrity, a, a baseball celebrity, if if we could call him that. It's the baseball poodle I am talking about, whose name is Panda Bear, right? What a great name for a dog. Yeah, that's his name. I feel like I live vicariously through the baseball poodle Twitter account because like every day almost it seems like you guys are at a game and having so much fun. And it's just the I mean, he's basically the face for Bark in the Park when I think about what Bark in the Park is. So how cool. How many ballparks have you been to together? I believe we've been to 14 parks around the state. Over 100 games. We hit our 100th game last year. All but about half a dozen are minor league games we've been to, the other half being the Rays and Marlins. And so, you know, some teams let us run the bases after the game. Some teams have uh, photo ops at home plate, you know, before the game and different things. So there's just always something fun happening. And my personal saying is magic heart happens at the ballpark because it just seems like every time we go, something unusual happens that I wasn't expecting. Or even after the fact, you know, with Twitter account and, and stuff, and it just uh, never ceases to amaze me how much fun it is and, you know, how much joy it's brought me going to all these games and taking the dog. And he's very popular. Tell you one quick story. I got a, a picture of him with, um, and I get photos with him with a lot of players. Um, not so much since uh, COVID happens, but before that, photo ops with, you know, players at every game. I got a photo of him with uh, pitcher Dylan Lee, who was with the Hammerheads in the Marlins organization a few years ago. The next year, I was at a Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp game, and a player calls me over while I'm on the berm talking to some folks, and I didn't recognize him, but it was Dylan Lee again. He had grown a beard, and uh, he wanted to see, see Panda Bear again, and so um, I got another photo of, of Panda with Dylan, and you know, Dylan started game four for the Braves last fall. So, you know, things like that just blow my mind. You know, I had to take a photo of, of Panda with uh, watching Dylan on TV, you know, so now I've got these three photos of Panda and Dylan, one <laughs> as Dylan's on the mound at the World Series. So That's things like that seem like they happen all the time. You know, magic happens at the ballpark, as I like to say. Yeah, I think that's a great saying and definitely true. Do the two of you have a favorite ballpark together? Is there is there one that you really look forward to getting to? I don't know if I can pick a single favorite because they're all so different and they're all great in different ways. Um, I certainly like the Threshers Park because that's the first one we went to. And it's got a great design. It's got a, I guess you'd call it an open concourse design. So as you walk around, if you're, you know, if you're going to walk from first base to third base seats, you can watch the game while you're walking that concourse. There's not a wall nice. there. So that open design is is really nice. Plus, it gives you some wind, some breeze. And uh, on hot Florida nights, that's nice, too. Um, but I like all the parks and for different reasons. And that's one thing that's great about uh, baseball is that all the parks are different. You know, it, it doesn't take too much imagination for me to think that some engineer 100 years ago or some corporation could have come up with the optimal baseball park design 
and they'd all be pretty much the same. And wouldn't that be horrible? You know, it's wonderful that they're all so different and they all seem like some architect drew up each park, not knowing that ballparks have been designed before, you know? So (laughs) (laughs) what a wonderful thing that is. Yeah. That's a great point because I think, you know, It's not unusual for baseball fans to try to get to as many ballparks as they possibly can. And you're right. Like if they weren't all at least somewhat different, there'd be no point to do that. You know, you don't hear a lot about people trying to get to all of the arenas or football stadiums or things like that, because they're, they're relatively similar, but baseball is, that's part of the magic of baseball is how different each of those ballparks is. Absolutely. There's so much that's magic about baseball. I think about that all the time. I think that maybe one thing that makes it so special is the fact that it's such a a structured game. And because of all that structure, you might think that that structure would have the opposite effect. It'll make it more predictable or something like that, but it seems to have the opposite effect. So in a sport with less structure like soccer, and I enjoy soccer too, but you know, it's, it's a bunch of folks running around the field kicking the ball, whereas you know, baseball has these discrete positions, first base, second base, and so forth. So you, you don't get that same kind of uh, amazing sense of coincidence or you know, rare probability in, in a sport like soccer that you get in baseball, um, yeah. which just seems to lend itself to um, you know, amazing situations, amazing coincidences, amazing events, you know, things that people talk about for years. Speaking of things that people talk about for years, you and Panda Bear have have done two things that are both on my baseball bucket list. One, you've seen at least one no-hitter, one official no-hitter, right? Right, right. Our first trip down to Miami to see the Marlins play, uh, we got to see a no-hitter. Alquez, if that's how you say his name, pitched a no-hitter for the Marlins that day. And uh, we also saw um, a a no-hitter... basically a seven inning perfect game from the, the Tampa Tarpons picture. And I'm feeling I'm on the spot right now to remember his name. I'm going to pause the interview right here to say that, of course, as soon as we hung up, Phil remembered that this was Debbie Garcia in 2018 and just a wild scenario that we'll hear a little bit more about. But anyway, it was a doubleheader, so it was only scheduled for seven games. So he pitched a uh, perfect game. And in the eighth, they pulled him out, put somebody else in, but they were putting runners on second to start Mm -hmm. the uh, inning. And so the uh, Tarpons ended up losing that game without giving up a hit. Well, that's something you don't see every day. (laughs) Definitely. And then the second thing, you just recently threw a first pitch for the Daytona Tortugas, you know, no less, one of the, the greatest named minor league teams in baseball. What was that like? Oh, I was floored by the opportunity, and I owe it totally to Panda Bear um, in his Twitter account. So the uh, invited him online. They said, we want you to come to one of our games, and they were like the only team left in the Florida State League that we haven't been to their stadium. I had taken the day off work twice to go, but it's about four hours each way. And so if, if it looks like rain, we're not going to do an eight-hour round trip. So both times we had to cancel out. And so they said, you know, come to our game and we'll give you what you want. And so we ended up getting that first pitch opportunity. I got to take Panda Bear out, you know, for the first pitch. And what a lot of fun that was. Sheldon, their mascot, was there and rolled out the red carpet for us, kind of literally. Um, and had some fun with that. And it was just a great time. And that's another great ballpark that 
you know, you, you got to go to if you haven't been to. Um, it's a much smaller park than these fairly um, large spring training parks that we're used to, larger than a lot of minor league teams might have. Uh, it's a small park, but just the way the crowd is um, closer together and they have a roof that kind of holds in the sound and magnifies the noise, and they're a spirited bunch there in Daytona. So it was a great game. We saw a close game, and it was a lot of fun. Were you nervous to throw the first pitch, or were you pretty confident in your in your abilities there? Uh, no, I was pretty nervous to get in front of the crowd and throw the pitch. I really wanted to throw a perfect strike, and then as it got closer, I realized, well, I haven't thrown a baseball in probably 25 years, so why am I thinking I'm going to get out there and throw a perfect strike? So my uh, my goal at the last minute was just not to do anything too embarrassing, you know, not to throw it to the backstop. So the catcher was able to get it, so I was happy with that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a success in my book. I think that's that, that's an accomplishment there. Do you have any tips for someone who has a dog and maybe they're thinking about doing a bark in the park, but they're kind of nervous about it or, you know, any tips and tricks for, for pet owners who haven't made made it out to a bark in the park yet? Sure. Well, one, and it's kind of obvious once you get there, but you may not think of it ahead of time, is it of course, dogs don't handle heat as well as we do. So when you're picking out your tickets, find a shady side of the park for your best friend. He'll appreciate that. Other than that, one tip is that if you want your dog sitting in the seat for a, a really cute photo, be aware that the seat can fold up with your dog in it, especially if you have a smaller dog. Now, Panda Bear is a standard poodle, so he doesn't have too much problem with that. But you may have to sit with your knee on the, on the seat that the dog is on to keep it from folding up with him. And they don't tend to like the slickness of stadium seats. So what I do is I take a little rubber sheet that I got from the grocery store. I guess it's like a shelf liner, something like that. You can get one real cheap, and that makes a huge difference for the dog. He can sit up in the seat you know, without losing his grip and sliding all over the place. But my, my best tip might be if you want good photos, and you might be tempted to take your, your best camera to the game if you have a good camera, you might be surprised that the cell phone takes better pictures in a lot of ways than even a $2,000 camera. And the reason is that $2,000 camera is going to have a big sensor, which gives great image quality and so forth. But at a ballpark, what you want is depth of field. You want to be able to take your dog's photo where he's in focus, you know, maybe six feet in front of you or something. And that outfield wall 400 feet away is as much in focus as you can get. Because that's the whole point, right, of having the photo is get, get the dog and the, the ballpark, the players and so forth behind them all in focus. And the small sensor on a cell phone camera will give you that. So if you have a good cell phone, try the cell phone. You'd be surprised how good the results are. Well, that's a great tip. And it makes life a little easier too, right? That's a lot easier to, to get in with you than... A, For a sure. big gear bag yeah. and everything. <laughs> yeah, I learned that the hard way. My second game, I took my good camera. And then, you know, like I'm saying, all the shots, the, the background was all blurry. That's all the rage these days with cell phones is portrait mode, right? You have the subject yeah. in focus and the background blurry, but you don't want that at the ballpark. You want those players in focus too. So tell us a little bit about Panda Bear. For for people who aren't familiar with the standard poodle breed, kind of how big is he? What does he weigh? What's his temperament like? He's 53 pounds, so he's he's big. Not a mini poodle like most people are thinking of for poodle. I mean, he's he's a really calm dog, really friendly dog. 
when I got him, I thought I might want to do agility training with him. So I wanted a high energy dog, I thought, and he turned out to be a low energy dog. It's very calm, but he's really sold me on low energy dogs because he's so well behaved. He never, never chews anything up or counter surfs or anything like that. And when I take him to games, he, he tends to win people over. He just, you know, anybody who wants to pet him, he'll sit right next to him and be their best friend, you know. That's that's kind of the the type of dog you would need to take to a bark in the park because I imagine, you know, for my dogs, they're I'm not sure they would handle all of the commotion and everything that's going on at a at a ball game as well as panda bear obviously appears to. We've always we had standard poodles as a kid. I grew up with several, so they are like oh, the best dogs. Yeah, they're nice. great dogs. Yeah, yeah, they are. So. Do you have a favorite baseball memory that comes to mind as kind of the the pinnacle of, you know, what you remember about baseball? Well, I have so many great memories and they're all different kinds of memories. So it's hard to compare one to another and pick one as a favorite. But, you know, I started liking baseball in 82 when the, when the Braves got good and my dad and sister and I would go to games. And so I have so many great memories of doing that. And we would get there when the gates opened because we wanted to catch a home run ball from batting practice. So I was in the outfield right over the, uh, where, the, where the seats come down by the flagpole. So I could look straight down over the rail and see the outfield fence. And it was 340 down the lines in the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. So I know I was 340 feet from home plate and a, a ball came. And I had to lean as far over the rail as I could. But, of course, I had my glove, right? <laughs> so uh, I managed to make the catch. So that's one of my favorite memories ever is catching a batting practice home run ball. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it was super easy either. It sounds like you had to kind of make a play out there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I could do that today. Right. And I was 15 at the time. You know, just being there with the huge crowd and the noise and, you know, when when there's something's new like that and, and when you're young, you know, everything's just seems so special. So I, I remember one game we went to, the Braves were down, might've been in the ninth inning, uh, the shortstop for the Mets, Hubie Brooks made a throwing error and just handed the, the game back to the Braves and it went into extra innings. The Braves ended up winning that game. And I remember listening on the radio after the game and them saying, you know, oh, Hubie could have tossed the ball to third to get the force. He could have tagged the runner coming across, but he chose to make this throw. Why did he do it? And he threw it away. And it just seemed like such a special thing, you know, that we got that that victory, you know, and that I was there to see it. So, you know, to anybody else, it might have been, you know, just another win. But when you're brand new to the sport and, you know, everything seems bigger than life, you never forget those those moments, you know? Yeah. That's what's so interesting, too, about baseball is the way the game unfolds, you know, it, there's obviously natural breaks to it, but things have to happen just so in order for even a situation like that to have a chance of happening, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's what it is about baseball. It seems like it just is so, it just naturally lends itself to unusual things happening, you know, and you'll see, I've heard people say you see something every game that you've never seen before, you know, it may not be uh, something that amazing but it seems like it's there's always something that you know that you go hmm i haven't seen that before and then sometimes it is something amazing you know you hear these amazing stories uh, last year uh, i heard about a foul ball that hit a fire alarm and the stadium had to be evacuated <laughs> <laughs> how crazy yeah i mean crazy things happen it's just uh, the nature of the game and it's just wonderful um 
favorite baseball memories. Well, and, and I almost feel guilty about this one because I know when when one team has a miraculous win, you know, it's someone else's heartbreaking defeat. But as a Braves fan, I have to say, you know, that 92 NLCS victory against the Pirates where they won in game seven on the last pitch of the game. That was an amazing memory, too, as a, as a huge Braves fan. So, you know, n- few things hurt worse than seeing your bre- your team eliminated from the postseason, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's different than if your team doesn't make the postseason. You kind of come to grips with that gradually. But in the postseason, you know, just a few days before, you were hopeful they were going to go all the way. And now it's suddenly over, right? So I remember that game. They were behind all game. And they got some finally got some base runners in the sixth inning. And then they didn't score. And I just felt like, oh, that was that was their chance. It's not going to happen. This is game seven of the National League series. So when the ninth inning started, I turned off my living room TV, went upstairs, started watching on the bedroom TV. And the plan was when they lose, I'm going to just immediately turn off the TV, turn out the lights, try to go to sleep as fast as I can and just forget about it. You know, So that was my mindset. I was that sure they were going to lose. And then they had this miraculous ninth inning. And I remember sitting there on the edge of my bed with my Braves cap on rally style, you know, with the fin over my head vertically. And, you know, just every pitch, you know, you live and die by every pitch. And uh, they ended up getting that miraculous win. So that's a a great memory, too. I think I scraped my knuckles on the ceiling when Sid Breen was called safe at home. (laughs) Wow. What a special moment, too. What is left on the baseball bucket list? Like what is the the one or two, you know, top things that you would really still like to do? Well, it would be really fun to sit behind home plate at a major league game with the dog. I doubt I doubt that can ever really happen, but that's one of my dreams. When I when I started watching baseball as a as a teen, I would see people sitting right behind home plate and I was fascinated with pitching. And uh, I figured, well, that's got to be the best place to sit. You're so close to the action and you can see the pitches break and stuff like that. So I asked my dad about sitting, you know, right there behind home plate. And he was like, ah, the season ticket holders get those seats. So there's no way to, you know, you can sit there. So now I go to these games with my dog and I get to sit behind home plate in the front row if I want. And uh, it's great. Like the uh, Bradenton Marauders. Their games are on MILB TV, so I can go on the, the website and watch the game from the night before when we were there and do a, get a screenshot of me sitting behind home plate with the dog, you know. So, yeah, my I think if I win the Powerball or something and I have that much bribing power, uh, some major league team is going to hear from me and I'm, we're going to have a bark in the park night uh, behind home plate. But more realistically, I think what I'd love to do someday is just do a long road trip where, uh, you know, I've been to all these Florida teams. I want to travel up maybe up through Georgia or Mississippi, through Tennessee, and just hit as many parks, you know, make a a road trip. Be a lot of nights in a hotel between games, but, you know, schedule it out where I could take the dog to as many games as I can on a long road trip. I love that idea. That'd be great. Where is it that you guys, if you're traveling, where do you usually stay? Because there's there's only some hotels that allow for pets, right? Yeah, we never stay in hotels. We <laughs> we tough it out. So, um, and actually, this kind of goes back to your question about favorite memories. One more favorite memory was the first time I went to Jacksonville for a game. This was our first year in 2017. Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp had a game on a Wednesday night. Dogs invited. Canines and crustaceans, they call it. 
<laughs> so I took the day off from work on the Wednesday and we drove to Jacksonville and I figured, well, the game will end 10 or 1030 and I'll just tough it out. I'll drive the four hours or so back to Tampa and I have to work the next morning. So that's what we did. But, uh, as I sat there in the stadium and as the sun went down, you know, I got this, this feeling of like, what in the world am I doing in Jacksonville, you know, across the state on the opposite coast on a, on a work night, I have to work in the morning. But I, it was, I felt that in the, in the best way. It was this feeling of getting away with something of playing hooky and just getting to do something that I wasn't supposed to be doing, you know? <laughs> so um, that was a great memory too, that I'll never forget. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because this has been something that I've always thought about, and I've never really discussed it with anybody, but, the, you know, the Steve Bartman story is, is a fascinating baseball story. A really sad one, really, because poor Steve, so mistreated. And, and it seems like it was just the perfect storm of things that could go wrong, you know, and, and anything that went differently, I think the story would have gone differently. So if, if Alou hadn't gotten mad and slammed down his glove, if he had just Let's say the ball bounces onto the field and he just happily flips it back to the fans and goes on, you know, like it was nothing. I think the story goes totally differently, right? Obviously, if the Cubs had won, uh, things have been different. Um, lots of things. But one thing that I always wonder about is the fact that Bartman was wearing a Cubs cap. So there was like a feedback loop. So as people watched on TV or listened to on the radio, they knew he was a Cubs fan for one thing and they could see that he knew because he was tuned into the game that there's energy you know this hostility was building but i have to wonder um well i'll just ask you before i i, I say any more how do you think it would have gone if he had been wearing a marlin's cap do you think it would have gone differently and and how if so and why it's so interesting right because like it's such an obvious question but it's one i've never thought of but you're right you know, if he was quote unquote behind enemy lines and he reached over and, and grabbed that ball mm -hmm. or uh, he didn't even reach over realistically, it was, you know, the ball was out of play already, but all of the, the backlash and everything he faced already as a Cubs fan, you have to, you, it would almost be scary. <laughs> you would think. So you think See, it would have been worse. I, I think in that moment, while he was at the ballpark, it would have been worse. I don't think it would have been as bad years later. You know, I don't right. think the the backlash after he left Wrigley that night would have been what it is. Because it's still, you know, of course, after 2016, he got a ring from the Cubs. But, you know, for, gosh, 20 years or so, it was still just this thing that was widely talked about. Right. And I think, yeah, I agree with you that it might have been worse in the moment. So, you know, imagine a Marlins fan, yeah. you know, impacting that play. But I think people would have been angrier in the moment, but I think they would have gotten over it faster. They would have had to say to themselves, at least in kind of a subconscious way, okay, he, he got us on that one. They, he got us and, and they would have had to move on. But knowing that he was a Cubs fan and that he probably felt horrible about it, I think there's something in, you know, there's this, some dark side of human nature sometimes that, that people would recognize, oh, he feels bad and we feel bad. We want him to feel worse. Whereas if it had been a Marlins fan, you don't have that element in there. So I that's, that's right. what I always wonder about is, you know, they were, they, they kind of could imagine that he, you know, they, he, he must have felt bad because yeah. why wouldn't he? I mean, they would feel bad. Anybody would feel bad to impact their own team, right? 
that's one of those things. If he, even if he had been dressed neutrally, I don't know, you'd probably assume that he was a Cubs fan, but you wouldn't know for sure. But, but that's the one I always wonder about. The Mar- you know, what if he had a Marlins cap on? I think it would have been totally different. Yeah, so. I agree. What an interesting thought experiment. I've never, I've never gone through that exercise before, but you're right. Like, you know, it, it would be a different story, I think. So where do people go if they want to follow along with Panda Bear, the baseball poodle, and, and you, his dad, Phil? We've only got one social media account, and that's on Twitter. So it's at Baseball Poodle, all one word. So they can find us there. Started the account when I was at that Marlins game and just sitting there before the game and, you know, nothing to do but enjoy the atmosphere of being at the ballpark, right? And they, they flash up on the Jumbotron, uh, tweet so-and-so for a chance to win tickets or something. So I thought, I, I can create an account. So I created an account and started posting pictures. And now we've got more than 2,500 followers, I think. But but my real uh, point of pride is that there's about 25 minor league teams following Panda Bear online. Yeah, he's uh, he's very popular amongst baseball fans, especially baseball fans who have dogs themselves. Phil, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I really appreciate the time and I can't wait to keep following along with you and Panda Bear and, and see you know where the adventures lead to. Oh, thanks, Anna. It's been a lot of fun talking baseball with you. And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to Phil Stoko and Panda Bear for sharing those experiences with us. That was a ton of fun. Like I said in the intro, I'm very curious to hear what you guys think about the hypothetical Bartman situation. So be sure to let us know on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever it is. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. While you're there, make sure to sign up for a free membership and join the site so you can build your own bucket list and pen your ballpark visits. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.